welcome. I'm Darren Keister, your host. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, it was a little bit funny there. If you were uh, listening to the podcast or one of the replays, you won't know this, but they just had an ad for uh, our show right before our show. It was a little bit funny listening to my voice from a couple of years ago and our old theme music, which I, which I, I miss a little bit. But hey... That's how it works. Today on The Green Majority, we're going to be uh, discussing a few news items. There's a couple of big breaking news items, of course, that if you're uh, a Twitter hawk, if you will, you may have, uh, you may have noticed that uh, uh, Glenn Murray uh, made a rather uh, interesting and provocative-seeming surprise announcement about a, a potential uh, theoretical forthcoming price on carbon here in Ontario. Uh, a few other news items as well we'll be discussing later in the show. Uh, however, I'm going to first go to our guest for today's show, which is uh, Anne Pohl, who is one of the co-founders and organizers and operators and uh, just all-round runners of uh, the IMW Legal Fund. And I believe we may have Anne on the line already. Are you there, Anne? Yes, I am. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, so I actually had a, uh, a friend of the show recommend that we speak to you, uh, Lynn, who's been on the show uh, many times as well before. Um, and I was uh, 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 sorry to say that I had actually hadn't heard of, of anything that you had been working on until then. So I was very glad that she she passed you along to us. Um, I would when I was going through a lot of the information that's uh, that's on your website. One of the the things that I was um, that was thrust upon me sort of right away was that um, you were actually involved in a very wide variety of things. With the the common theme, however, of which um, is that coming from the point of uh, largely from the point of First Nations rights and the implications of these rights not being taken seriously um, uh, in many cases. So I w- wondered if you would kindly give us the, the the pleasure of doing a much better job of describing what it is you actually do. Mm-hmm. I'm a grandmother, <clears throat> and uh, I have grandchildren, and a lot of people uh, my age, I guess, are, are looking at the world we're handing on to future generations of all species and all cultures and saying, okay, we have to do whatever it is we can, even if we've been making noise our whole lives, which I have, um, but we have to do whatever we can. So, so that's why I do what I do, and what I actually do is just try and find a place to help out with my skills, which are mm, a bit unusual and um, uh, fairly diverse. Um, and um, in in the general direction of of uh, promoting environmental protection, and it's. I guess um, also human rights because I don't think you can't you can't well I started out wanting to be as I grew to be an activist in my early years I started out wanting to be an environmental activist and um, in part I guess because my parents are science fiction writers so I grew up chewing on how horrible everything could be and a lot of it is coming true um, so um, but then I realized Fairly early on, uh, before I even got to what I would call the age of common sense and maturity, which is somewhere around your early 20s, maybe, um, I I realized fairly early on that if you don't look at how people get along with each other, we're never going to be able to make any headway on, on the other issues that are so important, like protection of the environment. So, um... Uh, those are the two tracks that I followed in one way or another through my life. I've always been an activist, and um, 
it ended up that I became actually, uh, over the last couple of decades, uh, fairly um, well-versed in uh, international human rights law and also in um, Indigenous rights um, issues and um, precedents and law in Canada and also in how government handles its various responsibilities to protect the environment and ensure um, that um, there is uh, an environment that's livable to pass on to the all future generations. So, so that led me um, to becoming an ally with my friends at Elsebuktuk First Nation, and I'm just going to butcher this, and any Mi'kmaq um, speakers out there that... Uh, that um, want to correct it, uh, hopefully they'll send me a pronunciation that I might be able to help work with. But, which means um, we translate um, into English, um, not literally, but in the sense of true meaning, um, protecting the earth for future generations, um, a legal fund based on the... Uh, the the specifics of the treaties that were signed in our region down here in eastern New Brunswick um, or in the Maritimes, but I live in eastern New Brunswick in Bigamot Territory. Um, this is called the Peace and Friendship Treaty, and basically it just says we're going to live together in peace and friendship. It was signed way before Confederation, and it didn't get into all the wrangling and details that the later treaties got into, so... So there was no uh, concession of land, no surrender of land or resources or anything in those treaties. And there have been some minor cases won on those points. But now it's time to actually take the issue to court and establish who really needs to be the caretaker of this region because, um, frankly, the government, the Canadian government, the provincial governments have done a lousy, truly lousy job of it. And... Um, that's really what they're saying as they move forward. I'm an ally in the process. I lend my skills to it. So, Anne, there's a there's a couple really key uh, points here, um, and the one I wanted to start with um, was just sort of explaining uh, the name. There's there's a number of different issues on which um, the organization and, and your allies, uh, both allies with you and the, and the some of the First Nations groups with which you are uh, allied on on these issues. Uh, I want to in a minute we'll go to um, uh, some of the focuses which has been on um, sh- uh, heavy shale and and fracking and that. Um, what I want to ask you to just uh, explain first a little bit was. Um, whom whom is it that is needing uh, this legal defense that, that, that you're asking for uh, donations for and you're asking for support for and you're rallying rallying around? Uh, what types of uh, legal action are people needing uh, defense for? Okay, well, there's a whole uh, coming out of the shale gas actions last year. There were there are a whole lot of different legal actions, um, and um, I could get into those, but probably that's another show. Um, <laughs> Um, but the specific thing that the IMW Legal Fund is looking at, the Peace and Friendship Legal Fund, is is uh, challenging the government of New Brunswick on its poor record on environmental protection for this region, um, particularly for the Mi'kmaq Territory, uh, the District 6, which is where we live. Um, it's called Signuktuk, and it actually goes from the border of where Nova Scotia is up to 
Miramichi River. So it goes all the way along the Northumberland Strait there. If people know where PEI is, just imagine the part of New Brunswick that sort of sits along PEI, the border, you know, across the water from PEI. And that's all the Signal District. And it goes inland quite a ways. And, and that's, that's been ground zero for the fracking issue. Um, but it's also, there's a lot of crown land here, and there's a huge um, uh, giveaway that recently happened in a forest, new forestry agreement to Irving and uh, a couple of minor players, really, in the in the forestry business. It's basically Irving for getting better access to what remains of the crown land forest, which is half of New Brunswick. <coughs> the land is half of New Brunswick. You see, underneath that land is where minerals would be so if they clear the land then they you can't say I want to save the trees anymore so it becomes easier to make the argument that it's now time to go after what's underneath the land and finish destroying the crown land so but all this is originally native land it's all originally and and it's never been surrendered so um, you yep. know there's a whole bunch of different uh, environmental um, threats that are either underway or or whatever, and the Mi'kmaq people that I'm, I've been working with in the Signal District are basically saying, you know, we made this treaty with New Brunswick a long time ago, or with the Crown, let's put it that way, and it's now devolved onto New Brunswick. But um, we made this treaty, and, and they haven't really kept up their end of the bargain. They haven't really been looking after our mutual our mutual territory, our mutual um, resources, uh, and the wealth of, of the natural environment and that, it, that it provides in sustaining us all, they haven't been looking at it, so we have to take it back. So it's a challenge based on the treaties. It's a legal fund to mount a challenge based on the treaties in order to ensure that there is a governance system for the environment in this region that will actually protect the environment. So one of the um, the first things that on the background or on your website, um, it opens actually with uh, 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 what's, what seems like honest surprise to announce that on December 18th of 2014, the uh, New Brunswick Premier did, uh, uh, quoting from your website, the rarest of rare things, kept a really difficult promise uh, with regards to the shale, grass, uh, shale gas moratorium. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, both uh, your involvement with that and, and what actually happened? Can you Can you unpack that story a bit for us? Well, I've been, I've been, I was centrally involved in our region um, on the shale gas uh, issue. I uh, helped to found a group called Upriver Environment Watch, which is just upriver from El First Nation. People will know from news reports that they've heard that the community of El played a really leadership role um, in uh, being on the road um, in the fall of, of 2013. In the summer of 2013, the fall of 2013, into the winter, um, to speak up and say, you know, you can't do this in our territory. But uh, so we're right up the river, and historically there hasn't been, a, there's been really poor relationships uh, between the original founding peoples of the province of New Brunswick, the Acadians, the English, and the Mi'kmaq. There have been, there've been a lot of tensions over the years, and there's been a lot of stuff that people label as racism at the grassroots level between people. But this issue of protecting the land uh, and the water and the air has really brought us all together. So that's the first thing that's really exciting about this, is to see that level of unity developing at the grassroots level. And it's such a message of hope about how people can actually overcome 
those generations of conditioning that you can't trust that neighbor because they're a bit different from you. You know, so you don't know what they're up to, and maybe they're out to get you. Well, all of a sudden, we're all on the same team, which is amazing. And the amazing, the second amazing thing that's really a positive thing for me on this is that, um, you know, in New Brunswick, we've been gone back and forth between a liberal government and a conservative government forever. And uh, whoever they are, they're in hand, they're hand in glove with big industry that wants to exploit the natural resources and doesn't really seem to give a shred of care about, um, you know, the longer-term issues of sustainability and management of the resource so that it'll be there for all future generations, including the people, the, the, the four-legged people and the tree people and the other people that, that live in, in the, on the Crown Lands, what's now called the Crown Lands, used to be called the Native Lands. They renamed it in order to make sure that people would realize that, that they were claiming it. But anyway... I'm, I'm digressing here. So, so the um, so what really um, came to it came down to there was an election being called, and the conservatives who'd been in government this particular last four years were ran on a, a program of say yes to shale gas. It'll solve all our problems. It'll create jobs. It'll build our our provincial coffers. We'll go from being a destitute have-not province to being you know, just like Alberta, and we can bring all our boys home from Alberta and all this kind of stuff. And um, they lost. And part of the reason they lost was that everybody that was concerned about the environment and and unhappy with handing things over to Irving and the other multinationals, um, you know, in, in hand and glove all the time um, with the province, the unhappy with that kind of politic, um, got out and mobilized people. And so we elected for the first time an MLA who's from the Green Party, um, who now stands up in the legislature and speaks to our issues. Um, the NDP support went doubled, but they didn't actually manage to focus on one riding like the Greens did, so they didn't get that, uh, they didn't get anybody in there, but it, their support doubled. And the Liberals got back in, but they only got back in because they promised a moratorium on shale gas. So they got into office, and for the first time ever, a sitting government in New Brunswick said no to a natural resource company. And that is just like, it's so hopeful for where we can go as a movement that we can make something like that happen in what I call the colony of New Brunswick. Um, and uh, and other people might call it a province, but really it's been so completely dominated by a corporatocracy, or however you pronounce that word, uh, this government that's run by corporations, and the corporations have been natural resource corporations, and that's since before it became, back when in the days when it really was a colony, it was that it, it was structured like that on purpose in order to feed the mother country and play its role in relation to the rest of Canada. And so, you know, it's history. If you look into the history of New Brunswick, you see that this was intentional. This design of corporations running New Brunswick was was uh, was a part of the essential design right from the beginning. So, so for us to be in a situation where um, uh, the major national resource company in New Brunswick, the, ma- the major natural resource exploiter, in New Brunswick, Irving, who has partnered with Southwestern Energy on quite a bit of the fracking um, proposal, 
um, got a red flag from the government. Said, no, you got to stop. You can't do that. And that's just incredible. So, uh, yeah, surprised. Surprised that they actually followed through on their promise. I mean, for just on a simpler level in relation to democracy, like how often does the government make a really difficult promise when it's trying to make, when it's trying to get elected and then say, oh, we're sorry, we've looked at the situation now, we can't do that. So, <laughs> so I mean, they're, they're really surprising, really surprising that that happened. And just, you know, such a sense of relief in general that finally they've heard us. It took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma, a lot of um, a lot of dirty, dirty water under the bridge. Um, that I don't know how long it's going to take for that to be resolved. But um, you know, finally they heard us. You know, and and they're actually done something about it. So we'll see how it goes from here, um, because um, pre- the new premier, the Liberal premier, Gallant who is apparently quite friendly with Justin Trudeau. Um, he's apparently sort of modeled in, in that, in that, uh, in that, in the wake of him or whatever. They're close, I guess, or whatever. Um, he, uh, he has set five conditions that have to be met in order for fracking to go ahead here. And uh, some of them are going to be pretty easy for them him to fudge around. Um, under pressure from and Irving and whoever else. But the others are going to be a lot more difficult. And then and then there's the fact that right now there's not a lot of money to be made in the business anyway. Mm. So, so that's helped us out. I mean, there's the gift from the divine there, or the forces of the market, whichever you want to call it. So, and I'm afraid we just have time for one more question there, but you, you mentioned something which uh, I would love to get your, your input on. Um, which was you mentioned the part of the reason why you were able to generate some success was was overcoming um, <clears throat> some uh, you said uh, racism in some cases and and in other cases maybe just misunderstanding or uh, non existing sort of good communication lines between different parts of the community and, and in many cases in 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 various places across Canada not really good. Uh, uh, open access to conversation, uh, you know, on one end of the scale and all the way up to, as you said, sort of racism on the other end of the scale that prevent maybe very various groups and, and generally keep First Nations groups out of these other larger conversations. Um, because you seem to be describing a situation where you where you and many other people have now have good evidence of overcoming some of those challenges and, and being able to, to work together in a constructive way that with demonstrable success. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or, or thoughts about about that process and maybe about being um, better at reaching out to First Nations groups? Um, all I can tell you is I can tell you that I played a, a key role in that. And I can tell you that, that before, long before this happened, um, I worked on a project. One of the, one of the things that really plagues horribly first nations communities is the uh, youth suicide rate and um so i, I worked on um uh, participatory action research project a uh, community action research project in the area here um pulling together parents from different cultures and youth from different cultures to look at youth wellness issues in general in this region 
and not identifying in particular one community or another, but everybody in rural areas like this, everybody's affected. And um, all I can say is that it's because we, I met these people and these people met me and we met each other and, and <clears throat> um, we all have relationships as well, professional and personal, with other people in the area. The trust that we developed started way back there. So I think it kind of goes back to the initial point that I made, that he can't tackle issues of mutual concern like um, employment or the environment or whatever, Um Unless um, you look at how people get along with each other and, and what's really getting to them as individuals, like what are their real issues that they that hurt them the most in day to day life, and, and and really, you know, as we started to prepare for um, Swin to be here with the seismic tr- trucks, the trucks to do the last bit of testing to find the best places to frack and. And um, well, as we started to prepare for that, it was based on those relationships, which go back 10 years, that I was able to make a call to people to say, come on, we need to get together and talk about this. So you really need to look at what are the things that are hurting everybody every day in your community and try and get people to come together around those things. And then you can start to deal with some of these other more let's say, uh, institutionally imposed issues or mm. or what government-imposed issues, you know. There's things that affect the very fabric of the community that you have to come together around community wellness, you know. And I really want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to us uh, today. Again, that was Ann Pohl, one of the co-founders of the IMW Legal Fund. And uh, before you go, would you just like to let people know uh, where they can find more information? I, I know you're accepting donations and then maybe how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, I think you have. The, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I don't have it up in front of me. I think oh. you have the information, don't you? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, we'll, be, a, we'll be posting it on Facebook the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna just gonna find it here. I'm gonna find it. Sure. Here we go. Um, uh, the mailing address, actually, Council of Canadians has agreed to be the trustee for our fund, um, so that people don't need to worry about where the money is going. It's actually going to the legal fund. We have a, a memorandum of, of understanding with them about how that satisfies them and satisfies us about. Uh, so, you know, you could even ask Council of Canadians for the MOU if you want to give us a big donation, you want to make sure. But anyways, it would get mailed to um, Snail Mail, uh, 301, Unit 301 at 251 Bank Street, Ottawa, K2P1X3. Um, and you have to write on the back of the check or on the note line, you have to write for the IMW fund. Um, or we have um, a GoFundMe site, um, and it's uh, I can give you the GoFundMe address, but it's probably easier if you just look it up um, on the internet. It's Elsibuktuk NB Legal Action Fund. So, um, and we've just really started launching this um, fund. Although we have picked a lawyer, 
we have just started launching the fund fundraising recently, so um, we're on our way. And I'll make sure that uh, links to the the websites and the GoFundMe site and and your and the email address and everything get included on the show post. So if any uh, listeners out there maybe uh, in transit uh, that don't have their their digital phones. Uh, uh, smartphones handy uh, just go check out greenmajority.ca uh, later today and you'll find uh, a links to all that information thank you again for joining us today Anne. thank you for having me on absolute my pleasure so uh, we've got uh, kevin farmer and Stephen hostetter in the studio we'll be hearing uh, from them in just a moment after we go to our music break we'll be right back you're listening to the green majority here at ciut 89.5 this is Darren Kaster, host of The Green Majority. Green Majority is now so much more than just a radio show. You can learn more about what we're doing and find out how to support us at greenmajority.ca. We are back. I'm Darren Kester. You're listening to The Green Majority. If you uh, caught the tail end of that uh, interview, we were speaking to uh, Ann Pohl with the IMW Legal Fund. You can uh, go and find uh, that information on our website later on today or uh, whatever you feel like it, whatever you happen to be listening to this at greenmajority.ca. Uh, Aaron Landers, who is our tech today, would you please let us know what we were listening to? Yeah, that was uh, Do Make Say Think. That was the band, and the song was called Soul and Onward. Thank you very much. Good choice again today. You're uh, we're uh, we've got uh, Kevin Farmer and Stephen Hostetter in the studio with me, and uh, you both saw the the announcement by Glenn Murray about the discussion paper um, that will be coming ahead of. Um, I saw a lot of the, a lot of uh, emails from environment groups putting out press releases about this announcement that uh, about the discussion paper about maybe possibly having a carbon something. Um, and I thought it was very interesting because all of the emails that I was getting, I, I had several within the space of a couple hours. My inbox just filled with statements from the mm-hmm. Citizens Climate Lobby, and, uh, Toronto 350, and all, everybody immediately had a statement. But they were all very, like, we're 
pretty sure we're excited. <laughs> it seemed it seemed slightly cautionary, um, not getting our hopes up, but everybody seemed fairly certain that this was something that was actually happening and not mm-hmm. just uh, a press release that maybe wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, we'll get into the sort of meat and potatoes about the discussion about it, but first of all, I just want to get both of your reactions to is the, I'm assuming the response is sort of the same. Like, well, this will probably happen. So, you know, with a slight reservation, we're excited. I, I actually, I think it will happen. I, I firmly think we'll end up with a price on carbon before the next uh, Ontario, and let's, barring something insane happening uh, before the next uh, Ontario election, um, or at least it will be the main thing that we're running on in the next Ontario election if it takes that long. Uh, whether or not the price on carbon is useful uh, is a different question. Uh, and I, my guess is it won't be very much. Uh, I'm going to guess we're going to like we'll probably look at something like what we're seeing at BC, uh, which is you'll have some effect, not a large enough effect, uh, but it's a start. Uh, is where I'm. It was, if I had to take a you know sh- shot at where I think this will end up, that's where I think it's going to end up. Kevin, how do you feel about this? <laughs> Hi everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, yeah, it's it, this. It, I mean, it's exciting news. The um, for all of their wards and and their wards are legion at this point. And many, the, yeah. the the Ontario government is uh, is just way out in front on environmental issues. Um, Kathleen Wynne's uh, brain trust it seems to be very environmentally progressive. They ran on an extremely environmentally progressive platform, despite there not being a great hue and cry from the electorate to have a, an extremely environmentally progressive platform in the last election. So I take I I, I do believe they're legitimately um, uh, concerned about this. I do believe that they legitimately want to take action on this front. Uh, we just have to, among other things, we have to make sure there's no opportunity for them to squander another billion or so dollars doing it. <laughs> Excuse me, but um, you know, there's there's still some debate. Obviously, the Harper Conservatives are still, you know, out on the talk show circuit, you know, talking this down, saying this is not a good idea. Um, we we need a price on carbon, and we need it. We need it yesterday. We need it ten years ago. And what what we don't what we you're 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 right to worry that this might not be effective because that's always you know the great fear that we'll impose we'll finally get around to doing the right thing but implementing it in such a way that it doesn't have the right effect. And I, for me, it's not even that. Like I, I think that you could even set it up well. You could even set it up. And my concern is that they'll set up the law poorly. It's that the price will be too low. Exactly. Yeah. Like we'll we'll get around to doing the right thing. We'll just implement it in such a way. Uh, that it, it won't it won't have the desired effect and and in the, when, so when when we're having that discussion, uh, this needs to be a tax mm. um, and an, another um, a, a cap and trade system. These things don't work. They're just going to create you know n- new market volatility. They're just going to create a, a system to be gamed by by big players that can move markets with speculation. Um, it, it, w- a straight up. BC model tax on carbon is simply the, the the simplest, cleanest, most effective, most efficient system. It's better for business because it, you, there's no market volatility to your long-term operating costs. Like when you when you're thinking, okay, I would like to invest in Canada. Uh, what are going to be what what are, what what will be my long-term costs of compliance with the carbon pricing regimen in Canada? Oh well, it's an uh, it's a free market system, but that you know the price will go up and down from year to year. It'll be high some years, it'll tank, whatever. That's that's a, a level of uncertainty that no investor wants. Looking looking long term at the Canadian investment, the Canadian landscape for investment. So the only people who like this system are the people who can who can game it. 
<laughs> Which let me jump in on that point because uh, 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 we'll come back to you. But it, just while you're on that very specific topic, um, I rarely do this, but this morning before I left the house, uh, there, there's obviously a number of news organizations that put out articles about this announcement that happened yesterday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, and I uh, was very. Uh, disappointed, let's say, let's use that word, uh, disappointed with uh, Richard J. Brennan from the Toronto Star's reporting and coverage of this story, and, and particularly the language that he used. So let me just, let me read a, a short line out of this, Kevin, and then we'll go back to you, because I think it speaks to the same thing. About three lines in, it says, whether that will be a cap-and-trade system or a controversial carbon tax remains oh, I read to be this. seen. Yeah. And I just... I read that, yeah. It, it may yeah. seem somewhat innocuous when I just read it as a quote like that, but within the context of the article, it was like, no... It's not controversial carbon tax. The re- it, it, it's the fact that all the businesses prefer cap and trade because they know they can game the system and it's just another way, way for them to make money. Would you please stop just repeating conservative talking points? <laughs> I did see that line and I had exactly the same reaction. I was like, what? Um, and, and now here's where, here's where the ancient memory you, is going to fail. Just to again. be clear, you can, you're allowed to have controversial in that sentence because it, obviously Stefan Dion, politically it is controversial. But it yeah. goes at the beginning to apply to both. But don't say cap and trade or a controversial carbon tax. Exactly, yeah. You're showing yeah. your hand. You're yeah. not, that's, not, that's not fair reporting. That's bias. It was the president of uh, – what was it? The World Bank recently who was trotting out the BC carbon tax oh, yeah. uh, as, as like an exemplar for the world to follow. Yeah. And the other thing we absolutely have to avoid here – and I don't know if there's a danger of this yet but, but is this notion of the Alberta model, mm. which is – which is you know this – it's exactly what Stefan is talking about. It sounds good on the face of it but, it, but not only does it not achieve its desired effect, it, it, in, a, in a way it is designed to fail spectacularly while still, while still presenting uh, an image of success. And, this, and the, the, reason, the reason for that is that the Alberta model is based on intensity targets. So as long as long as so what they do is they impose a fee only on the biggest emitters so not everyone is included in this and the the biggest emitters have to show progress on the intensity of their emissions or else they will they will uh, be fined intensity is just the um, amount of emissions the <clears throat> excuse me the amount of your emissions divided by your your productivity. So if your productivity is increasing faster than your emissions are increasing, your intensity is going down despite the fact that your emissions are going up. And this is nonsense. This is a thing this was this this is a this is a metric that it seems to me to have been very artfully designed to obfuscate the issue. This is a metric that is 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 just cynically designed to 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 put lipstick on a pig, so to speak, and say, "Oh, look, our intensity is improving. Look, our intensity is going way way down. We're leading the world in intensity targets." F- fine, you know, but intense. You can reduce intensity and still increase emissions, and then and then you can parade around, you know, to the media and to the current affairs shows that these talking points that you're you're having success when when in fact you're not. This is this is ridiculous. We need to we need to strip this of language. We need to just look at the fact that there is there there the atmosphere can hold so much carbon. End of story. Uh, before we are in an in, in an entirely intolerable warming scenario, we need to start talking about this in terms of not exceeding the worst case scenario of that carbon budget. That is a much simpler metric. It's how much carbon is in the atmosphere. How much more do we think we can dump into the atmosphere before we before the warming genie is out of the bottle? And what's our plan as a planet to rain to get to zero carbon before we pass that point? 
Much simpler math, much simpler calculation, and in fact, that's the problem we're trying to solve. And if I, if I, if I can just jump in quickly, just to sort of, because I feel like we talk about intensity a lot, and I and I and I, I want to give sort of an, an example of what a, a metaphor, if you will, which is a very weird metaphor, so run with this one. Uh, it's uh, basically the idea of intensity targets is if you had a pen, so you had a big pen, uh, and you had and, and you and you were and you were breeding puppies. You wanted a lot of puppies, yeah, but your pen can only fit so many puppies. Um, and 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 you found and you found cheaper and cheaper ways to feed the num- the puppies. So you got more and more puppies for the amount of money you're spending. Uh, and you keep you keep going to the person who owns the pen is like, but look, I'm get I, I'm my puppies per dollar is so much better. And they're like, well, we have room for a hundred. Stop it, uh, and then and then and then, but, but then you, and that's exactly and then you end up with two hundred puppies and three hundred puppies. It doesn't matter how cheap the puppies are coming. At some point, they won't fit in that pen, um, and it's and it's physical physical limits. Okay, that weirdly works. Oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know why I went with puppies and pens, but I went with it. Um, well, you know, the way to get people to take action is to you know hang a cute puppy. Face, you know, if you if you want to scare people, hang a nasty human face on the threat, mm. and if you want to motivate people to do good, make them feel good about saving a puppy or saving a baby harp seal, and, and you'll get action. If you can't, if so, you otherwise, like these metrics I talk about, no one listens to me. I'm talking metrics. So <laughs> I'm going to go home and right after the show and make a meme uh, with Elizabeth May holding a gun to a puppy's head, <laughs> pass a price on carpet, or this puppy gets it. <laughs> Uh, so I have one more thing I just want to stick in about this art, uh, article and then we'll uh, we'll go to our, uh, our other music break in a minute and, and come back. Uh, so farther down in the same uh, Toronto Star article, again, it's uh, you can find it yourself. I'll have it on the show post as well. But if you're, if you're following along now and you want to look it up, it's Liberals Working on Carbon Pricing Policy for Ontario, Glenn Murray says. Uh, Toronto Star published yesterday by Richard Day, uh, J. Brennan. Uh, and a little bit farther down, so he's discussing... Uh, some of the numbers that are being put forward, he has a bunch of quotes uh, from Glenn Murray uh, making his statement from the announcement. Uh, then it talks about some greenhouse uh, gas emission targets. And then without sort of any segue, uh, it goes in this. So I'm now quoting again from the article. The progressive conservatives have made it clear they will visit uh, vigorously oppose a carbon tax. Quote, anywhere they have brought in carbon pricing in the world, the price of everything went up. Interim Tory leader Jim Wilson told reporters this week, it's just another tax that is going to hurt the economy and kill jobs. Next sentence, the Liberal government discussion. So just no qualification, no addition of the fact that that's a wrong. <laughs> this is the, and it's the, not true. That talking point is demonstrably uh, – It's laughably uh, not re- true. Re- it, yeah, it's demonstrably refuted by B.C., which is which is the exemplar? The like I said, the president of the World Bank is holding up the BC model as an exemplar for the world. This is this is just yeah. I mean this this is the kind of stuff that I mean I cannot believe we are still phrasing this discussion in those terms. To suppose there is no cost to to intolerable climate change, there is no cost to that is is beyond absurd. In fact, we are taking by not reining in emissions, we are taking economically. Socially, uh, we are taking the most expensive approach possible to this problem. We are incurring the greatest possible costs we can by not addressing this problem. So to impose a cost on carbon that will simply that doesn't that can be revenue neutral i mean obviously in the ontario government they have yet to meet a billion dollars they did not 
want to waste somehow. So we have to qual- – I mean, I support their environmental vision, but I'm as a painfully aware of their track record managing the public purse as anyone in this province. So I, qual- you know, I qualify that statement with let's not, let's not give them the chance to waste another billion or so dollars because they just love doing that. The point is these taxes – Outside incompetence or malfeasance in government administration, these things can be revenue neutral. So to say it's a tax on everything, drought is a tax on everything in the form of higher food costs, water shortages. <clears throat> you know, the, 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 this, this tax on everything is simply a mechanism to drive down a, a public bad – drive it down into non-existence to avoid incurring absolutely intolerable costs in the future. A revenue-neutral tax that on carbon that, that simply drives down that behavior, it actually reduces our over, the, over, the overall burden on our economy. And that's just a nonsense talking point. And this is the thing. This is what I was complaining about with people, the, all the politicos, the journal, journalists who do not have not yet figured out how to refute any of Colin Carey's talking points on climate change. They've been saying these things for so long now. Every journalist who, who, who quotes these things or listens to these things, every, every discussion moderator who lets these things go past unchallenged, what have you been doing for the last 10 years that you haven't had time to fact check these ridiculous tired talking points? Well, and that's and that's the very last thing I wanted to say, and then we'll we'll get give uh, Stefan the last word here before we go to our, our second and final music break, which was that uh, I I understand that the 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 conservative party making statements like that they're not true, but I'm actually far more upset with uh, this journalist with Mr. Brennan, and and I think if people feel similarly, I encourage you to let him know politely and in a non-harassing way, but let him know that um, it's not acceptable to either be a bad at your jo- either he's bad at his job. In that he's not being, he's not doing any research, and he's simply parroting what people tell him. That's not journalism. That's called writing press releases, and you're supposed to be a journalist. Or he's complicit in in misinforming people because there's just so much bad information here that's just thrown in there, as if to like, well, I have to cover what both people said. Yes, but one of them is demonstrably wrong. It's obviously wrong, and it's your job to point that out. And so I'm actually far more upset with Mr. Brennan than I am with uh, the Tory representative that made the quotes. But Stephen, final word. Uh, actually, I was just going to pitch something that I wanted to talk about. About and come back to uh, after the break, uh, which is the which is the sentence um, that it's gonna that it will make everything cost more uh, because that there's so much in that com- in that statement uh, that uh, that that isn't often actually talked about I think and should be talked about uh, that like my basic point is. Whether like again, I fully agree that it's that it's been proven that it's not necessarily the case, and there then like NPC has proven that you can do this with revenue neutral, blah blah blah. Um, but everything should cost more. Like it's a completely different conversation. It's a conversation we refuse to have. Uh, at least the, in the public sphere, if refuses to have, and there's reasons why it's difficult to make the statement everything should cost more. Uh, but there's it's a, it's a longer conversation, uh, and I won't get into it right now because we're going to go to a break. Uh, but I want to tease that for after this, which is everyone pretty mad at me because I'm going to say everyone should be paying more for everything. Well, it will every we will be paying more for everything <laughs> if we do not 
get to zero carbon before we let the warming <coughs> genie out of the bottle. This yeah. is this is the smack my head moment in that co- that whole discussion. We'll voluntarily raise it a little lower. You'll watch what happens to the price of corn when there's only three cobs left on the entire planet. We're we'll going to this be a music break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIT 89.5 <laughs> FM or one of our wonderful community stations. We'll be right back. This is Darren Kaster, host of The Green Majority. Green Majority is now so much more than just a radio show. You can learn more about what we're doing and find out how to support us at greenmajority.ca. back they were into the home stretch here on the green majority and uh i know both uh, stefan and kevin have a whole bunch more to say on that uh on that topic so i just wanted to add uh, if we seem a little bit more fired up this week a lot I, I know i didn't get a lot of sleep i don't think stefan's been been feeling ill so um if you're if you're finding it's it's a bit uh more intense than you're used to uh, apologies if you don't like it. And if you like it, let us know because we'll totally get less sleep all the time. Uh, Stefan and then I think Kevin's got the final word. Yeah, for sure. Do we want to throw to the other music though? As I... Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, jump in, please. That was uh, Marquee Moon by Television. Thanks was... for keeping me on point there. Yeah. Still getting used to this. <laughs> Still right. getting used to actually telling people what they're listening to. I mean, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds super weird. Uh, so thank you, Aaron, very much. And, and Stefan. Yes. Okay. Uh, so back on my on the right of saying everything should cost more. Uh, this is a it's a brief thought uh, because I know Kevin has a, has another point he wants to get to, uh, but it basically comes down to the, the idea that um, the reason why we waste as much as we do and the reason why we're sitting where we are right now uh, is be- is because everything is too cheap. 
Uh, and there's a longer conversation to be had. And the, the caveat you have to make in the beginning of every conversation is that the way the way to deal with this is difficult because there are people who in, with with low incomes who need the ability to live and 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 everything. Uh, and so there must be a setup uh, of a way to do that. Whether or not that's a minimum income, whether or not that's something else, uh, that has to be provided for, obviously. Uh, and so that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm trying to make is that there is a reason why 40% of food waste is wasted. Uh, and that is because we don't pay anything for this food. It should not cost – like I was blown – like here's I'll, I'll, quick story. I went to Shoppers Drug Mart uh, and I wanted to get a bushel of bananas and it was like 79 cents. That's amazing. A whole bushel of bananas, 79 cents. That's Shoppers Drug Mart. It's great. And then I go up to the desk I, and, the, and the cashier stopped me and was like, you know, it's 79 cents per banana, right? And I was like, well, that's too much for bananas. And then I put them back. Um, but what about this is 79 cents per banana, given the fact that they, they – I don't know where that banana was grown – probably hundreds of thousands of miles away. Uh, it was then flown or trucked or shipped all the way here. It was then put if the, to some distribution companies and then sent to this specific store. And then someone had to sit in that store so I could walk into it whenever I felt like to get that banana. And I was still balked at 79 cents for a banana. Like this is, this is the world we live in. If, that, if every banana was $2, I would eat every banana I've ever been given. <laughs> that's just what happened. I would not – that's just how would, things would work. I wouldn't waste bananas anymore mm. uh, because they would, they, they would be such a precious resource. So I, so I think the, the – I mean the, the, the other half of what you're saying there as far as like you know, everything should cost more and that will incentivize us to waste way less. So exactly. it, it, the net effect is not that it is that just that I sort of want to emphasize is that you're you're not saying is that yeah, too bad, you know, uh, everything should just be more expensive and everything else stays like all else being equal. What you're saying is there is a whole bunch of stuff that should cost more and we're wasting so much that the system, there's a way we can accommodate for it. Um, and we're creating a bunch of stuff just to be waste. There, yeah. Like, think of everything you've ever bought at the dollar store that only exists to be think thrown of, out. Think of everything you've ever bought, period. <laughs> every, every childhood toy you ever had is yeah. somewhere in a landfill. Uh, yeah, sorry to, sorry to jump in. Oh. Can, I, can I segue out of that? Uh, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, I got a double segue. Amazing. <laughs> to, to I'm going to watch this. I'm just going to sit back and watch. <laughs> to our original uh, uh, interview topic. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly and that we, maybe we could do a show devoted to that uh, someday. I'd like to add to that, just, and, and this, will help, this is the first segue back to Ann Pohl's interview. Uh, there is not, in my opinion, any act of what we call resource development taking place today that is not, in fact, resource destruction. We, we, there's, you know, go back to public school. There's two kinds of resources, renewable and non-renewable. We are over-consuming every renewable resource on this planet, fish, trees, uh, water, in a sense, fresh water, uh, although we could debate that. But we're over-consuming the obviously renewable resources and driving them into extinction, fish, trees. Uh, the non-renewable resources, we are converting them into waste and pollution. So we're converting them into things that cannot be reused again. And the very best state of recycling today only, in fact, extends the life cycle of some materials several times over. Like plastics just get kind of pulverized and then included in other things. But it doesn't – we have not eliminated the need for new inputs. We have not eliminated the need for virgin uh, plastic. So we – you know, these things might get kind of – 
pulverized or reused a little bit, or at best we're reusing these materials. We don't recycle anything. So in, in the sense of like reusing it forever in a closed system uh, that, that no longer needs inputs of like new inputs of, of raw resources. So, so, so in that sense, you know, we need to, we need to really kind of up our game on this issue and, and realize, you know, this, res- this, so this res- resource development is resource destruction. And so when we talk about things like resource economies and we think, oh, you know, we could make a lot of money being a resource economy, like Ann Pohl was saying, this is some of the thinking out, uh, uh, out east is, you know, well, we could become uh, like Alberta. Well, yeah, okay, fine. Classic story about burning down the house to stay warm in the winter. Let's just destroy all of these resources, let's convert them into not only waste that can no longer be reused again, but toxins in our environment that are going to that are, are, are an extra burden on our health, uh, the health of our, of our bodies and our ecosystems and our economy. And so the, the, the other segue out of this <laughs> is that there's a really good article, I think it was from this week in rabble.ca, written by Pam Palmiter. Uh, she is a First Nations woman. I believe she's Mi'kmaq, and I'm sorry if I'm incorrect about that. But at any rate, Pam Palmiter, she's, you cannot not find her on Google. Uh, she is a lawyer. I believe she's also a professor of law at Ryerson University. Um, she blogs in rabble.ca, and she wrote an article this week about um, uh, Bill, sorry, help me out again, Stephen, C-51? Yeah, C-51. Yeah, okay, the, the, the new sort of like the new bill from the Harper government that expands the uh, powers of CSIS and the surveillance state. And I just recommend people read this article. Uh, it, uh, among other things, I mean, she discusses the slippery slope we're on uh, with regards to civil liberties. She reminds us painfully of just the history of genocidal abuses to First Nations people in this country uh, since the arrival of, of, of settlers. Um, I mean, some of us are beginning a lot. People are sort of there's a it seems to be a burgeoning awareness of the the horrors of the residential schools. But that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg when when you read about these things. Um, and the the, the 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 sort of why this is a segue back to the beginning of this is that I couldn't help but sort of chuckle morbidly inside when Ann Paul said she was a grandmother, and I thought, oh no. Another activist grandmother in Canada. She's going to be on a watch list from the Harper government soon. And, and, and you know, it, it, this, you know, that's funny morbidly, but it's also true in a sense that, that I would be less afraid of an expansion of the powers of the state if this government did not brand all opposition as radicals and extremists. And now they've they've got new legislation to crack down on radicals and extremists. Uh, environmentalists have a radical agenda. They they always manage to get the word terrorist, or they, for a while there they were trying to slip the word terrorism into the same sentences they were using environmentalism, environmentalists in. You know, uh, just every all opposition is radical and extremist. All opposition, uh, environmentalists are considered protesting uh, against uh, uh, pipeline projects is considered a threat is officially considered to be a, a threat to national security in this country. And now we've got this government expanding its surveillance powers with uh, with demonstrably less oversight than any other sort of similar uh, G20 jurisdiction uh, trying to trying to trying to you know less oversight than is already available in so many other similar jurisdictions doing the same kind of thing, and uh, and and I just think you know 
uh, you know, it just, it just somehow, I can't put a nice bow on this, but I was just sort of like a lot of thoughts were going through my head listening to that conversation about, about you know, and, and this article from Pam Palmer that I, I just recommend people to read. It's like you, you start to put all these things together and you realize, you know, the world we might be headed for here and, and the world that in the history of the treatment of First Nations people in this country has existed for a very long time, the criminalization of their behavior, uh, their lifestyles, and 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 uh, you know, it just we we need to we just we need to be we need to be fundamentally concerned, uh, not only about about uh, taking action on environmental sustainability, but guarding against uh, this what it, what appears to be a, a great overreach from the Harper government. All right, final word because we're out of time for the Green Majority this week. Thank you very much for listening. GreenMajority.ca, there's a big button that says email, sign up. You will get one email a month and find out all the wired, uh, wonderful myriad of things that we do besides just the radio program as well as the links to all the radio programs. So uh, please take a few moments. If, uh, if you are interested, GreenMajority.ca, a big button saying email list. Uh, we'd be glad to have you and uh, we'd love to share some of the other work we're doing with you. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week. So thank you very much. You've been listening to The Green Majority. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Have a great week, folks. We'll see everybody next week.